Hello and welcome to the sanctuary, a safe space to speak from the heart. I'm your host Israel, and my guest today is super talented artist JJ Steves. Welcome to the sanctuary. Thanks, Israel. It's really it's lovely to be here. Sweet. So, uh, how's your week? How was your weekend? Actually, let's start with that. Um, admittedly, I think it was probably a little bit tough. Um. Like like a mixture of tough, a tough and good. Like we're we're sort of coming out of the dead of winter into spring a little bit, and I find the the extra light and the warmer weather is a treat for sure, um, and I super appreciate that. Um, but it, yeah, I think the the lockdown in Nova Scotia, which we're not super accustomed to because we've had it so great here, um, is a little bit tough. Uh, for sure, emotionally and mentally and physically. So I think it was a bit of a bump on the log this weekend, kind of just trying my best to get caught up on all the stuff I didn't manage to get done during the week, which isn't ideal because you're supposed to sort of be resting and taking care of other things on the weekend. But mm-hmm. um, I find my, my productivity has severely suffered <laughs> this year. Mm-hmm. I've, <laughs> I've both like set higher standards for myself and accomplished more at the same time as like acknowledging that I am not getting as much done uh, in the same time frame as I used to. And I keep trying to coach myself out of that, but it's th- probably not possible. And I kind of just have to accept that like not usual standards will be the, the forward for a little bit. And that's okay. That's fine. Right. I mean, you know, not usual standards being the norm is actually normal because you are going through something that's not usual, right? Yeah. Um, and COVID. So, kind of, it's a year now. <laughs> I mean, it's more than a year. <laughs> so, but like, last year, you know, the very first time, March, you know, I think March 2020, it happened. Um, what are some of the things that got cancelled on your end because of that very first lockdown? Um, well, a really big thing happened that I was super excited about. Um, and it was, uh, so at the, at NASCAD University, Nova Scotia College of Art and Design, um, there's a department called Extended Studies. And Extended Studies is essentially a department that provides art uh, programming for the community. So you don't need to be enrolled in the school in order to engage. And it, it brings in a lot of really cool artists and facilitators with a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. Um, and there's some really cool programming. And uh, I would often be involved as a, as a teacher or facilitator with the youth programming. Um, and so I was teaching... Uh, a couple art classes on Saturdays to eight to 10 year olds. Um, and then we were gearing up. Um, I had been hired as the, the coordinator for like a huge March break art camp. Um, and we had done a lot of work for it and we were really excited. And March break camps with kids um, were always, and every time that I had participated previously, um, you know, literally just so much work, so much chaos, um, and so much fun. You know mm. what I mean? Like it was, it, it, it was really, it was always really rewarding. So to get to be the coordinator um, and to have been hired by people I really admired to do that was really exciting. Um, and it was a challenge and I was really looking forward to it. Um, but of course, 
uh, we had to think about having a whole bunch of little kids together in a small space. Um, mm. But we didn't have a ton of knowledge about sort of COVID. We were sort of scooping up information as we went. So we were all super concerned. And, and I think it was the day before or two days before that mm. sort of the, the plug was pulled on uh, March break camp, which I know was really hard on the kids and on parents. And we were also super disappointed um, but also relieved because <laughs> um, I distinctly, you know, I remember us saying like how before we knew that it was like aerosol spread when we thought that it was maybe more by contact or by germs mm-hmm. and things like that. Even then, we were sort of thinking like, how do you keep kids from age like five to 12, let's say, from touching their nose and then a table and then each other like, you know kiddos are kiddos right, right. Um, and one of her favorite stories to tell was that you know you would have a kiddo who'd say can I tell you a secret and you would bend down to hear their secret and they would sneeze in your eyeball and that's like a, <laughs> that's like a, right? <laughs> it's like a day in the life of working with kids oh um, my god and it's part of it and it, that was definitely <laughs> Those were sort of like the conversations we were having before we knew about aerosol spread. Right. Um, and, uh, and so I think we were, you know, we were really concerned with, with sort of like, how do we protect these young people um, and, and also not make it terrifying for them. Mm-hmm. So that was a really interesting week. Like the prep before as, as sort of like Canadian media and news were picking up uh, the story and we were sort of navigating what that meant for us. Um, so that was one thing that was canceled, and our and our lovely Saturday art classes were canceled, and all with good reason. Um, and then I was also doing sort of, I believe, some other potential facilitation, um, I think. And that being said, like, this speaks to sort of how fuzzy my memory of this year is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really grateful I have a day timer because I can actually look back at it and be like, you did have things scheduled because <laughs> um, I don't really remember. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, it was a lot of sort of facilitation with McPhee Center, facilitation, arts facilitation with NASCAD, extended studies. Um, and I think I was also just sort of gearing up to um, take a little bit more control of my own life and my self-employment. Um, and my own personal art practice. Mm. So I think for a lot of a lot of the time that I've been an artist, I haven't been super focused in my art practice, and that's okay. I was figuring out what I wanted to do and kind of trying everything. Mm. Um, and I think I was just about to maybe get to a place where I was hitting a stride. Um, and and of course that didn't happen, or sorry, it got interrupted. And then I think it happened in a different way, a little bit farther along in the pandemic, sort of once we mm. settled into it. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of sad, um, but also totally necessary. And I'm glad that nobody got sick or hurt because we didn't make those decisions. Right. Uh, or, you know, um, but of course you always look back and you, you wonder what it would have been like. And as I'm sure we're all doing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine because it's it's uh, something you're really looking forward to and preparing for, and then that happened. But right, you know, you also have to look at the other side that you know going through with it might have been worse. But you know, thankfully everyone is okay. Uh but like, let's talk about art, though. How did you fall? Uh, like, how did you fall in love with art? How did you fall in love with <laughs> painting and coloring and all these things? Maybe? <laughs> I don't know. Um, God, I would I I would say 
there's probably multiple stages in my life where it got reaffirmed or I don't quite know what the language would be to use, but um, I would say without a doubt, it would be my parents. Uh, oh, and I'm like choking up. <laughs> <laughs> what a goof. Um, yeah, my parents have always, always supported me um, to be creative. Uh, and maybe I would suspect that they knew that creativity was good for me before I knew it, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I mean, I say this like every, every birthday, every Easter would be new art supplies, you know, or like any time that they went to a museum, they would scoop up art supplies from the, from the gift shop. Um, and, and, and would always take me to see art. Like it was music and, and art and theater and culture were really, really, really supported um, mm. and beloved in my house. But what was interesting was that both of my parents were scientists. So like dad was oh. a family doctor, dad's a family <laughs> doctor, um, and mom was a nurse. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And both really creative outside of their careers so dad is has been a has been a drummer for his whole life um and my mom has been i mean there's no end to the list of her to like to listing her creative abilities but like (laughs) everything from you know making a home a beautiful space to be in to like growing flowers and arranging flowers and like a chef and then a seamstress and she made her clothes (laughs) and she gave us haircuts and like and then on top of that you know like she would decide that she wanted to paint a mural on the floor you know on the (laughs) stairs and things like just really 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 cool really really Mm. really creative um but without ever having any formal training um, oh. So, like, a little bit fearless in that way. And I don't think she ever thought of herself as an artist that way. Uh, but definitely she was. And then dad similarly with music. Mm. Um, and I think that, that the the creative sides of their life fulfilled them so much that they wanted that for me. Mm. Um, and I think before I was probably aware of it, they would see my reaction to art and creativity. Mm. Um, because I tried to walk away... So many times. <laughs> Why? Um, I think I think it was hard for me. Lots of people can do it very well. Uh, for me, it's been very hard tying creativity to income. Oh. Very difficult. Very, very difficult. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing for me. Like, I don't think it's something that I, because it's hard for me, I should stop trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I find I get better and better with it, with age and, and experience and learning. Um, admittedly, I'm still really bad at it, but I get better at it. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, there were so many times where I said, like, I don't want to do this for a living anymore. I just don't think, it's just so much pressure. It's so hard. Um, and a lot of my work is very personal. So to be trying to like pull personal work out of yourself to pay the rent or pay a mortgage or to pay the bills, whatever, ah, uh, whoa, it's <laughs> it's hard, you know. Fair and then, yeah, there's there's a lot of people who do it really well and speak to it and, and are and are really knowledgeable about it. And I'm just not there yet. 
Um, mm. So I did. I tried many times. I tried many times to quit. And I even told them many times. I was like, man, like, how did you let me go to university to be an <laughs> artist? <laughs> like, what did you do? Like, why? Why did you do that? Yeah. Um, and, you know, their answer is always, we don't think you would have been happy doing anything else. Mm. Um, and I think, th- I think that's part of the truth. Do you think you're correct when they say that? I don't know. I don't know. I find it really, I find it hard to answer that question. Um, okay. I, you know, sometimes I wish that I had, um, you know, a really, really comfortable, well-paying job with awesome benefits that you knew you felt safe in um, and that didn't suck your soul away every day. Mm. But I also feel like I may be describing a unicorn. <laughs> so, like, you know, it's everybody's. I was you know, like, you, what? What is the job she's talking about? <laughs> like, I, I don't know that that exists, right? I mean, I mean, I'm sure it does for some people. Um, yeah. But, but working, working, working to live right now is hard, and I think it's been hard for a long time. Mm. Um, and so I think that, uh, you know, it, 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 it could be a thing where I'm saying the grass is greener on the other side because I've been very fortunate and very lucky in the opportunities that I've had um, and the support that I've had and the community of people who support me in my work. So, mm. you know, if I had gone, I, I often tell dad, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to pack this in and I'm going to go to school and I'm going to become an accountant because then I'm going to have a reliable income and then I'll also be able to do my own taxes and not worry about it. <laughs> Um, and he's, you know, there's, there, at no point do they tell me, you know, that's a bad idea or anything like that. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know for sure that I would be happy in that respect either. Um, if I was really struggling, I think that that would be a good idea because I think that uh, not having enough to live is really, really, really hard and it, right. it devours you. Right. So, um, but I'm okay, uh, right now. So will just sort of keep focusing on my art and teaching. And I think that's what sort of like saved me from walking away from making art. Teaching? Um, yeah. It okay. really it really brought the love back for me. Mm. Um and I fell in it completely accidentally. So um but it 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 absolutely um reinvigorates and reignites, I guess, my own passion for making and um and I think I see reflected back to me what art means to me mm. when I'm encouraging and supporting my students. So it, it makes it exciting and worthwhile again. And, and it's probably something as basic as like being reminded of what it, why it's meaningful and helpful to me instead of getting stuck in the day-to-day cobwebs of why it's hard, which mm. like I'm a pessimist. Without a doubt, my whole life, worrywart, pessimist, it's very hard for me to focus on the positive side of things. And that is an active uh, practice that I need to engage in every day. Mm. So I think teaching really was that for me. And it, it, it's, there's something magical seeing art, um, seeing others be creative and seeing them be creative because you've supported them in that. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. And so that brings me back to sort of my desk every day in a way that I didn't have prior to teaching. So mm. that I think changed a lot for me. And I didn't even know it was there. I would have would have never known that I enjoyed being a teacher at all wow. had it not sort of happened accidentally. Mm. Okay. So how did it happen? How did you get into teaching? 
Um, so I was asked to, because of my work in comics, um, I was approached by the McPhee Center in downtown Dartmouth, um, which is a creative learning center uh, for youth. Um, I believe the ages are 11 or 12 to 19. Um, and they approached me to team up with them uh, and uh, Avalon Sexual Assault Center to create a creative program where using comics and illustration and art, um, program participants, the youth, would explore uh, and learn about topics such as gender um, and um, healthy relationships, uh, consent. It was really cool. I forget what we initially called the program, but it eventually became known as Crash. And we ended up... What uh, does Crash mean? That's a very good question. I should have looked that up before I did this. Um, <laughs> it's C-C... It's the way we used to spell it was C-C-C-R-A-S-H. Um, oh. I, you know what? I can't remember. I'll have to look it okay. up. It was a few years ago. Um but it was a super it was a super neat program and we ended up packaging it and so that we could uh, provide it for other educators to run in their classrooms or with their youth. Um, so it was really, really neat. It was really cool. I learned a lot about myself in the process. Mm -hmm. um, initially, we ended up traveling with the program. So we ended up going to a few different communities in Cape Breton mm -hmm. to run it at first. And then we ran it uh, here at a few different locations in HRM, which was really cool. And mm -hmm. yeah, then it's since been pack packaged up and sort of like passed on, which is really neat that the work could sort of, um, I could be, we or sort of the original program facilitators could become obsolete and it could be sort of passed on to others, uh, mm -hmm. which is really neat. And that's always a cool thing as well uh, when you don't need to sort of own something in a proprietary way. Um, and so that was, that was sort of the beginning of my facilitation and my arts uh, or arts facilitation with mm -hmm. McPhee. Um, and then as I started to discover how, um, how just much I really enjoyed that type of work. Um, I spoke to a friend who worked with uh, NASCAD Extended Studies. Right. And I asked their advice if they thought I would be... I had really low self-esteem about it. So I asked them what they thought if I could even do it. Um, and I suspect that they thought I was a little silly for asking that question. Um, because they... they, they they were just sort of like, yeah, absolutely, of course. <laughs> um, let me put you in contact with the people. Mm. Um, and so they did. And so they put me in contact with another good friend of mine uh, who uh, worked there at the time. And I believe very quickly I was brought in to start um, teaching some summer or March break camps about comics. Um, mm. And then I taught, you know, watercolor comics or just general sort of diary style journaling, sketchbook type things. It was, it was great. It was really, really mm. great. Uh, and then the comics, how did those ones happen? How did that start? That's a good question. I don't know how it started exactly. I've always loved comics ever since I was a kid. Mm. Um, I didn't always, I didn't read necessarily superhero comics, I don't think. I didn't have a lot of access to those. Um, but my parents uh, and uh, friends and I gave each other and read a lot of Garfield and Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> oh my uh, God, I love Calvin and Hobbes. Right, Calvin so and wait, Hobbes is really is special. he like, he's imagining the Tiger is alive, right? 
Well, yeah. So I don't. I can't remember if Bill Watterson, the 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 cartoonist behind Calvin Hobbes, I can't remember if he actually ever explicitly states, you know, that Hobbes is a teddy bear that that Calvin sees as a live living tiger. Um, and I and I think that's part of the magic. At least for me as a kid, that was because mm. I sort of could still pick up on the fact that the adults saw a teddy bear or a te- like a, a plush tiger. Um, but I was still very much on Calvin's side that Hobbes was alive. Um, mm. <laughs> and and I think I, I think I thought that way for a really long time. Um, and I think that maybe if, if Bill Watterson never, you know, explicitly said like Calvin's imagining this because he's a child. Um, cause I, cause I think he never really did. I think that's sort of what held the magic together. Right. 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 Um, and, and also, you know, Calvin was such an interesting kid, you know, like, in, um, you know, Bill Watterson gave kids a lot of credit in that Calvin had a very adult voice sometimes, um, <laughs> but he also still had a kid's lens through mm. how he viewed everything. Mm. Um, and, uh. And, and yeah, there was, there was like this simultaneous respect and disregard for parents, which was <laughs> so childlike as well, which was really right. interesting. Right. Um, so I think, I, I mean, I don't, I can't say for sure. Cause I, I tend not to read a lot of interviews by creators that I like, and I don't know why there's no good reason for it. I just oh, okay. love being immersed in the art more than the, about the art, but that's mm-hmm. not always a good thing. Um, so I don't necessarily recommend that, but there's a lot of, uh, like Bill Watterson is quite, um, quite introverted and, and, and is notorious for not doing interviews or, um, being a public figure. Um, and so I think that sort of like his, I don't know, he not explicitly stating that stuff and not like pulling away the magic of that sort of giving the double viewpoint of the child perspective and the adult perspective all the time Mm -hmm. enabled his comic to be received by so many people simultaneously. Um, And I still go back and reread Calvin and Hobbes. And it's so funny because I get so much out of the comics now that I didn't get when I was younger and and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that he had a really, really special understanding of, um, age and differing perspectives and how you change and shift but also how things can be very similar um and i think that there was a huge amount of respect given to both kids and parents in those comics in a really interesting way Mm. um and so i i distinctly remember garfield and calvin and Hobbes being around all the time um and then also i remember sort of like the the (laughs) I don't know if I even should admit this, um, but you know, there's the newspaper comics, which were really special, and I would love reading the newspaper comics and the Saturday color comics. My, I remember if we didn't get the paper, then my grandmother would cut out my favorite colored comics for me and save them for me. Nice. Um, but also, uh, my parents had a subscription for the New Yorker growing up, and I couldn't obviously really get into the articles as a kid because those were not necessarily Mm -hmm. um you know a kid's speed um but what was really funny is I was super fascinated by uh, a few cartoonists in the New Yorker and one was sort of one of their most famous cartoonists which was um Booth 
um, who has since passed on, I believe. But he drew a dog and a man in this certain way. And this dog and this man would appear in these comics all the time. And this dog was like, he was just hysterical to me. And it, he didn't do anything. He kind of just had like a funny look on his face and a funny way of sitting. But as a kid, I just thought that was the best comic in the world. And so I would race to read these New Yorker comics that like I would never understand because they were for grown-ups. So like they always went way over my head. Right. Um, but I just thought they like there was something about it that I just thought was the bee's knees. Um, mm. So it was that, the New Yorker comics, and the advertisements along the sides of the New Yorker, which were very um, kind of dated. Like, a lot of them were really old school looking, and they looked so unfamiliar to me. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, maybe they were very American or, like, American media and just looked very different than anything I had really seen or mm -hmm. that I, other stuff that I'd seen sort of around our house. So I was super fascinated by it because there would be, I don't know uh, any graphic designer could tell you, but it's like those really tiny squished advertisements along the sides of sort of New Yorker articles. Um, and they could be just so rough. Um, but what was so funny is there would be some really consistent ones, like the same jeweler would have the same advertisement every single week. Or like, I think there was a guy or like a company that would sell berets that had oh. the same photo of the same guy in his like 50s wearing the same beret for like 20 years in The mm. New Yorker. Um, <laughs> and that stuff just like, ooh, that stuff just like super fascinated me. And I was I was weirdly into that in a, in a funny way. So mm. those were sort of the comics that influenced me. Um, and I had, you know, mom and dad who were always pushing me uh, to express myself in any way that I felt fit. Um, but also I had a teacher, um, uh, Josette Frizzle, uh, and it was grade five and she was, it was in her class that I first started making comics and she oh. was super formative for me and a whole bunch of other youth in the class because we were, um, so we were a French immersion, uh, class, which meant that we were from the grade primary, so the age of five, all the way through to grade 12, we had the same group of kids, like the same cohort. Our class was never mixed with other classes because there was only sort of one French immersion class per year. Mm. And so we got pretty close. <laughs> and on top of that, we were all pretty weird <laughs> and, and pretty eccentric kiddos. Um, and we all came from also some pretty eccentric parents. Um, and I think it's pretty well known that French immersion, that like cohort being stuck together for so many years does create um, an acceptance of weird and, and, and differentness. And so you can end up with some like really interesting youth uh, with mm. some just, you know, who are very comfortable with themselves. Um, and amongst their friends. Um, and so what was really interesting is that French immersion classes can be a lot to handle because of that, because they are a unit um, and they are hard to um, separate and manage. Mm. And, and I've heard this from a lot of teachers over the years who teach French immersion kids. Um, and we would have this yelled to us frequently in junior high by our junior high teachers who could not handle us. Um, and they would always say, like, you French immersion kids. And we'd be like, and? <laughs> um, but in grade five, um, uh, Josette was having a really hard time because there was a lot of creative kids in our class. And we would all, like, we would just ignore your lesson. 
and we would draw or start glue cutting things out and doing a collage or decide we want to take out our watercolors and start painting like we did not care apparently and i don't fully remember this but i i, I remember it being reported back to me um, but what I do recall is that she decided that she had to do something about this because she was losing us. We were not present. We were doing our own thing. Mm -hmm. And so she made a deal with us, straight up negotiated with these nine-year-olds. <laughs> and she said, if you can put away your creative projects during school time, like while we're doing a lesson, then on Friday, the whole afternoon is going to be called Leur Creative or like creative hour. And you bring in a project that you want or we can have a directed group project and you work on that. And so mm. essentially she gave us an open, a wide open art class that was self-directed on Fridays, right. provided that we respected her during lesson plan Monday through Thursday. Win-win um, for everybody involved. It was so successful. <laughs> It was so successful. Yeah. Um, and what was really funny was that we felt so respected. Mm. Um, and that was revolutionary. I mean, I, to be fair, French Immersion, we were so lucky. We had so many good teachers throughout the years. And I think we had, relative to other people, a much higher percentage of really loving, dedicated self-sacrificing to the point of it being a detriment to them type of teachers um, who really got kids who were different. You know, the, we had a lot of really good teachers who did not try to shove us into boxes. Mm. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, Josette was quite an exception who really saw us for who we were and, and mm -hmm. got that and then was ready to compromise or accommodate us um, so long as in turn it came back. <laughs> Um, and uh, it was really funny because it, I, I have very clear memories of making my first comics in that class. Yeah. Um, and they were called uh, Mutt Man and Squeer. So Mutt Man was a giant dog and his sidekick was a square, an orange square, who I called Squeer. And I don't really remember why. Um, and they were all based, they were sort of like a... It, it, my parents still have them, but if you reread them now, they're basically a parody of like the the Adam West Batman. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I was pretty dedicated to these. There's multiple issues. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. Right. Uh, and I distinctly remember both my parents telling me like, "We're gonna save these because these are gonna be worth something someday," <laughs> <laughs> which every parent says, but feels pretty good. <laughs> right, 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 right. And. And so yeah, that was that was really cool. That was that was the beginning. And then I don't think I made comics for like ever after that. Um, oh. But it was it was really why not? You know, um, I got really into music. I studied. I was in sort of the school band from the age of nine to uh, grade twelve, and I did uh, what classical, did you play? Classical flute, and then later on in high school, I added um, alto saxophone. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And so that was really cool because music was a really big part of my family life as well because dad mm -hmm. was a musician. Right. Um, and we would have um, his his band practices would be in our house every week. So mm -hmm. it was it was a big part of life. So that was really cool. Um, so I pursued music pretty, um, 
for for quite some time till grade 12 and I wasn't really sure that I was done with it until I was sort of in my 20s but um and maybe I'm not done with it who knows um, do you still play the saxophone what's that do you still play the saxophone no not really I still have okay. it but I if I if I feel like connecting with music and uh, creatively in that in that way I tend to take out my flute because I do have more of a connection to that uh, which is interesting um but uh learning to play saxophone was really special as well it was very cool very very cool um but yeah it was I think it was in university when I was studying um uh I was doing my BA for English literature um and a close friend and roommate kept who was in fine arts kept saying like all you do is talk about art (laughs) (laughs) all you do is think about art all you do is read about art Mm. do you want to maybe take some art classes like you love photographing and it's true I loved photography um and so it was at university that I started taking some art classes I didn't I wasn't a fine art student fully I hadn't submitted a portfolio or anything like that but Mm. I just asked sort of every um every teacher independently for each class, each course, could I join? Um, And I was very lucky because they all said yes, and I don't know that they all should have. (laughs) Um, uh, But I was was very, very lucky in that way. Um, And so I kind of just really slowly started creeping back. And it started with photography, which really fed a part of my soul that I didn't know needed feeding. Mm. Um, And photography is still really important to me. Um, but then I wanted to try everything and I wasn't a fine arts student per se. So I didn't have the, the foundation years in the same way, um, where you sort of are, are given a tour (laughs) of all the facilities and you try everything. Um, but I did end up taking a few, um, intro painting and intro to drawing courses after my photography courses. Um, and that is sort of what ended up pulling me back, Mm. um, And then I started working uh, as a sort of greeter. We called them deskers, but a receptionist, but front-facing person of Mm -hmm. the Owens Art Gallery, um, which is the the University Art Gallery at Mount Allison. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is probably where I fell in completely because that was a really special place. Um, I don't think I'll ever forget my time working for 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 Owens Art Gallery. Uh, the, Mm -hmm. The people who worked there were... Uh, had such an impression on me. Um, and so I started working there as a receptionist. And then I was started doing uh, an assistant for what was called Family Sundays with Lucy McDonald, which was a really cool family arts programming um, mm. where community folks or people from the community, families would come in with their youth. And every month, I believe, I don't know if it was every Sunday or once a month, um, they would go and they would explore a new exhibit that was up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there would be an activity that would cause you to pause, reflect, and then react to the art. Um, and working with the youth and their families uh, through that programming was so cool. Mm. Um, and so, so, had like such a huge impression on me. And, and it, it started me learning about how to break down the barriers between... Um, regular people who don't feel like fine art or art in general is accessible to them. And then these large institutions that we have, like art galleries and museums, that 
have historically not necessarily been welcoming to large cohorts of people and have been inaccessible to a lot of people. And Mm. so this Family Sunday programming was probably some of the, the, the things that I first interacted with that taught me about how to break down those barriers mm-hmm. and make these spaces accessible to more folk. Um, and it was just, it, it was just amazing. It was just so, so, so amazing. And of course, I also in turn ended up learning so much more about art as a result of it, because I was, I was asked to think about it in ways that maybe I hadn't um, done before. Mm-hmm. And that was really, really, really special. Um, and so while I was working as a receptionist there, I, um, we had a lot of free time and we were allowed to work on our schoolwork. And so I would bring my laptop and instead of working on schoolwork, I would read web comics. Um, there's a, and I, I'm going to, uh, um, there's a few different ones, but I'm going to pronounce uh, the cartoonist's names, last names wrong. But there's Jeff Jacks or, or Jeff Jack, who, um, I don't know if I pronounced the S at the end, um, who did Questionable Content, which was a webcomic I read for many years, um, and XKCD, which was another one. Um, and then I would also spend a lot of time on a blog called Wooster Collective, which was, a, I believe, a husband and wife project based in New York City that documented street art from all over the world. I think initially it started as documenting sort of New York City street art. Um, and just having conversations about street art. And that was the time when all of a sudden I just fell head over heels into comics and street art. Um, and was just madly in love with them both. And mm. I remember the same friend, Megan, who had said, like, you just need to start taking art classes. Like, I think this is what y- you want to do. Um, and I remember her saying, like, now that you're interested in this stuff and now that you're pursuing this stuff, it's looking at it it's like yeah of course it felt like you were always you know sort of gunning to go in this direction but we right. just ooh, we just didn't know that we just mm. and i didn't really you know i still remember my parents took me to new york city um when i was nine years old um in 1995 1994 um and we walked the whole city that was like the most important thing for them was that you walk the city and that you get to see a city that's very vibrant and alive and filled with people from all different demographics who are constantly bumping up in, against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it blew my mind. Wow. Like New York City, as like a little kid from Antigonish, was just like I was so overwhelmed with like sensory overload, like meltdowns everywhere (laughs) um but i remember being like unable to get over street art street art and subways just like couldn't like couldn't stop thinking about them um and that's all i wanted to do was like go and find more of it and go back into the subway because the subways Mm. the subways weren't fully cleaned up yet like it wasn't current manhattan they were still like coated with like tagging on the inside it was starting to get tidied up in the 90s and i think like that was the era of like the seeing a lot of like the gentrification of new york city um but i was just fortunate enough to get like the dregs and Mm. you know i think for people who were familiar with new york prior to that it wouldn't have been been as magnificent but for a kiddo who had never been on public transit before 
that was just the coolest thing in the world. Right, right, <laughs> like, right, 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 right. Um, and to see, like, you know, tags on subways, like, covering the window or subway trains covering the windows and stuff. It was just, like, it, to see living art was just so cool, you know? Um, so that really blew me away. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that that was sort of the stuff that, like, slowly, cumulatively got me to where I am now but at Mm. no point did I know what I was doing um and at no point was I being very conscious in my direction (laughs) (laughs) um and mostly uh you know like some people are really great at putting their head down and knowing what they want and focusing on it Mm. Mm. and I still don't think I'm very good at that um no no, uh, everything is interesting (laughs) Um, And if I could, I wish I could be an expert and the best at everything Um, because it's all fascinating and it's all brilliant. Um, But I'm just one person and we only have one life. So you kind of as I like I'm in my 30s, I'm understanding I need to rein myself in a little bit. You make choices. Um, But like everything is interesting (laughs) (laughs) and like making the choices feels awful. And I would love to like never have to focus on one thing and to always be a jack of all trades, master of literally nothing. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't always work out very well. Uh, so I, I am trying to focus a little bit more now. Um, and it's a little bit it's a little bit easier as I as I get to know myself a little bit better and age. But like my my general artistic career and creative trajectory is very messy and not linear. And none of it was on purpose. It's all very much by accident. And <laughs> like a series of happy accidents. <laughs> well, like, so, you know, talking about happy accidents, that kind of led you to your Patreon and your daily comic practice? Weekly. So it should Weekly. be daily. Oh, my God. Not no, daily. no, no, no. It should be daily. I wish it was daily. I, I, <laughs> I I'm just really slow and I agonize and I have... I have my own mental health stuff that just really causes me, it takes me a lot longer to do Mm. any creative endeavor because to be totally honest, I have panic attacks like daily. (laughs) It's a good day if you don't have one. Um, Mm. And so I have to take a lot of time as I'm working to be like, you're having a bit of a meltdown. You need to walk away and go sit on the deck and drink a glass of water and do 15 minutes of meditation. Mm. Um, And sometimes I can't come back to my desk and I try to, but I can't. Um, So I've sort of been doing a weekly comic practice. um, And it, it started and my intention was for it to be sort of like a journal, like a diary comic. And that's what I call it. But it's probably a little bit more of like a mix of diary slash poetry slash spiritual internal pulling apartishness um, comic. Um, and in that process, I've sort of been playing with different different ways of illustrating the comic with different mediums because I don't really know what I want just yet. So mm. <clears throat> the it's. I would like to be doing more of it and not just weekly. I think it would be great if it was multiple times a week because I want, I want the, I want to have the experience. I want to like actually have that legwork and that time put into it. Um, but sometimes I take so long to do it anyway. <laughs> At the time, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Uh, so I try to put a lot of thought into sort right. of the words um, and the meaning and then the write up for it. 
Mm. But yeah, the, the, this has all also been a very happy accident as a result but, uh, of the pandemic. Yeah, but I mean, I guess, you know, the ones I've seen, like the ones you show on your Instagram, are really personal. Like, you know, do you think it would be easier if it were, they weren't so personal? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and there's been other people who have said that too where they're like sometimes this seems like it's torturing you you know do you want to write about something a little bit easier mm. um and the answer is yes i do and then also i just don't know how <laughs> this mm. is just what sort of like comes very naturally to me mm. um and my hope is that i do go on to branch off to make other work as well with comics um but right now, this seems to be what I'm doing. And it's it's also probably because the pandemic has forced me to be so introspective. Like, mm. I, I, don't, I don't have the usual excuses or ability, things that enable me to run away from what's making me irritable or what's making me hard to be around or what is making me have a hard time being productive or whatever, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, those types of things weren't they there in the same way. Um, and suddenly I had this opportunity to really like work on myself um, mm-hmm. because things were really hard. And so it kind of, I kind of had to, you know, like it was like yeah. work on myself or, or like, suffer um Mm -hmm. and so yeah i think it's probably just tied into sort of what i have been preoccupied with doing this whole Mm -hmm. pandemic which is like managing mental health as best as possible you know Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. okay oh man you know whenever whenever you share or whenever you answer something i'm like pulled in and it's like oh my god because everything like leads branch to another question and i'm like okay i'm just gonna focus on this one (laughs) uh but like um i'm gonna end it with this question though something that you've mentioned over the course of us just chatting today and something that shows a lot in your work is mental health uh why is that important to you Mm. okay Full disclosure, I'll probably cry again. <laughs> I want to. I want to say that first, so that everyone knows I'm super self aware of how emotional I am about this. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, um, I think it's really important to me because um, I'm so privileged. I'm so lucky because I've had mental health struggles that have been very challenging but I think the main reason I'm still here today is because I have a lot of things that other people don't which is uh, financial support familial support uh, partner support friend support Um, because my parents were mental health workers or sorry were um, healthcare workers I I am sure, I don't have evidence of this, but I am 100% positive that I had access to mental health treatment that others would have found extremely difficult to access. Um, I'm sure I've gotten care that other people who didn't look like me 
or who weren't uh, from the same background as me would not have gotten. Mm. Um, I know that I've been given opportunities after screwing up um, also because of my privilege, you know, Um, and we live in a culture that doesn't talk about this stuff or up until very recently, we haven't been talking about this stuff. And so I am often really surprised that because like my lens of my life and how I've done is that like I have I have I have screwed up a lot and I'm not necessarily thriving very often you know like like I am thriving let's be real I'm very lucky and I'm 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 actually very content in my life right now Mm -hmm. um but like I don't think I if I if I didn't, talk, I don't want people to think that I am totally okay and have it all together. And I don't want anyone to think that I've always been okay and had it together. Okay. Largely because social media, like we all know, it, it's, it presents a certain lens and it's often a very glossy lens. Um, but I, even just in day to day, you know, the way that I present myself usually with friends and things is quite, if you see me in person, I do often try to be, um, I think like friendly and open and happy, even if I'm in like depths of despair. It's very <laughs> hard for me to wear that necessarily on my sleeve with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I can always talk about it later, but in the moment, it's very hard for me to be honest about um and so i don't i really don't want people to think that i i got through this or or i'm not on the other side of it but just i don't want people to think that i'm managing just all on my own or that if they're struggling or having you know really suffering that it's their own fault or that you know they're to blame you know like like we live in such an imperfect system um, and the whole thing needs to be thrown out, you know, and rebuilt. Um, and I, I really do think that the only reason I'm here right now is because I'm so fortunate and so privileged. And then on top of all my privilege, I have like a lot of just pure luck. Um, you know, that I'm sure if we like, we have to follow the thread is also privilege, you know, it's just, I don't know how to, um, follow the thread and, and, and pull that apart yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's really important to talk about this stuff and be honest and, and not that everybody has to, sorry, I think it's important for me um, because I am somebody who wears, um, sort of my life on my sleeve in a lot of ways. I, I do try to be genuine with people. Um, but I, I, I want people to know that it, it, it can be really hard and that can also be okay, you know? Um, and I also want people to know that it's really, it's really important to ask for help. Um, and also to know that even when you ask, there's a lot of people who won't get it. Mm -hmm. And that just sucks <laughs> and um and and so I do I try to I try to talk about it a lot to 
at the very least destigmatize and demystify as much as I'm able to as an artist, right? Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a mental health professional. I, I'm not an art therapist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. You know, I'm an art teacher who can like in how I support my, my students in their making of art or in their creativity, I can help them sometimes gain a sense of self. Um, but there is a limit to what I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do need to have these conversations about what people need. And it's different for different people in different communities um, and how we can provide this stuff. And so, you know, there's a lot of people out there having really, really amazing conversations about this. And I am, I don't think I should be looked to as an authority. Um, I am just trying to sort of share my own experience. Um, If, you know, and if that helps anyone else ask for help or feel less ostracized or alone or less of a failure, then that would be awesome. Um, Mm. You know, that would Mm. be really cool because no one's Mm. a failure for mental health stuff. Um, But you certainly feel that way. (laughs) It can Um, be hard. It can be it can be tough. And so hard. Yeah. You know, so in in your i guess in one way you have your art to express yourself and then having this outlet to teach people and to show how powerful it can be is a great thing i just wanted to say uh you know jj thank you so much for coming to the sanctuary i'm for i'm for sharing so much you know i'm for being so vulnerable and and like when i started this show it's like moments like this that you know like episodes like this that i created this show for so to show that you know like it's okay not to be okay and it's okay to talk about it if you want to so so really thank you so much thank you so much thanks for having me it was really great